and welcome back to Out of the Ordinary Podcast, or welcome for the first time. If you've never been here before, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. It's season three of Out of the Ordinary. We are on the third season. Can you believe it? Time just flies in 2023. But that means brand new episodes, brand new conversation topics, and brand new amazing guests to speak to. And speaking of which, episode one has its very shiny new podcast guest. The very brilliant Anthony Pereira joins me today for a discussion. Anthony, are you there? I'm there. How are you, Jack? I'm not too bad. Good, good. I'm very, very pleased to see you. Well, see you in a kind of figurative sense. Um, (laughs) I'm very good. Thank you very much for asking. Um, Just to kind of fill in the gaps, we are in the same country. We are in the United Kingdom, both of us. UK? Yep, yes, we are. UK boys, that's what we like to hear. Um, So you're in London. I'm in Norfolk. So we're not that far away from each other, which I think is probably, yeah, that hasn't happened for a while for me. I've been globetrotting recently, but we're back on UK soil and uh, I can hear a British accent, (laughs) (laughs) which is is refreshing. Um, How are you doing? You okay? Yeah. I'm not bad. Honestly, yeah. not bad. Honestly, not bad at all. Things are things are good. Things are happening, and I'm grateful for that. I think, yeah, as autistic people, we have a very, very low boredom threshold, so we need to be doing something. Absolutely, yeah, no, absolutely. The sun is shining here in Norfolk. I don't know if it is in London, but it's it's it's, it's creeping. It's creeping. It was a little grey, but since since you've started the since you've started talking, um, yeah, it's it's gotten better. There we go. I'm just the influencer of weather. So <laughs> I just make everything brighter. Oh, good dear. I'm not going to edit that out. That's horrific. No, um, no, no. Raw and unfiltered. Raw and unfiltered. That's what we Yeah, like. absolutely. That is my style. That is my style. So, Anthony, you are here, of course, because you are an autistic adult. Uh-huh. Um, but also you're here to discuss what it is you do with your time, with your passion, with your career, with your skill set. You are an actor. Yeah, I guess I am. No, <laughs> I, yeah, I, yes. Yeah. I am, um, yes, I'm a performer. I'm autistic. I trained in musical theatre. I've kind of been doing artistic things on and off as a kid to kind of, you know, keep myself busy, you know, maintain my, maintain an interest, develop as a human being. But yeah, I trained in musical theatre at a place called Bird College. Mm-hmm. I finished, I graduated there two years ago, and I've been lucky to have been kind of consistently performed more or less since I left. That's good. That's good. I mean, I suppose it leads me into my first question, really, for you, because I obviously, when I talk to anyone who is autistic, I think one of the biggest things to start with for anybody who's listening who doesn't know you is sort of in terms of before we even get into the the acting side of things, when did your kind of autistic awareness or your autistic journey begin knowingly for you how how far back does that go were you diagnosed as an adult or was it as a kid or if you can remember I do remember it's you know I I'm lucky I'm 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 lucky with it it was I was diagnosed very young I mean I kind of had all the regular milestones as a baby I was walking talking everything was you know I I hate the phrase normal we all do do. I was I was meeting expectations more or less yeah then we got to nursery and my mother was a little bit concerned she thought um Okay, you know he's he's a little bit isolated, but you know when he comes into to reception year at school, he'll be fine. Um, then cut to reception. I am a nightmare. 
Well, <laughs> you sound like me. <laughs> I was I was friendly. I was polite. I was a wonderful kid. Apparently, yeah. uh, <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> I it's good. I'm I'm, sell, I'm selling it as best as I can. Um, yeah, go for it. I'm. I was just. I found a lot of things very unbearable. A lot of overstimulation in terms of noise. Social situations were impossible or not easy to navigate. I was teased and bullied quite a lot. Mm. And um, yeah, I'd hide under tables if things got un if got too things got too noisy. Oh, walking no. walking past like it's, it's such a weird thing to say, but like I feel like a lot of autistic people will relate on this, which is what matters. I w walking past toilets and hearing the hand dryers go off. Um, it sounded like a monster was coming to get you. No, absolutely. I think I can. It's it's such a to anyone else, and I suppose to a, an, another child or even another adult, because I know a lot of adults can be really affected by something like that in terms of sort of audible stimulus. It's something that is so innocuous and people just take for granted and walk past and don't pay any attention. But actually, as a, as a kid as well, um, especially in, a, in an environment that you're not naturally gelling in, perhaps, as you, you quite rightly said, and or you're not naturally kind of finding it easy or simple something like that can really just sweep under you and kind of just knock you off your feet a little bit and and then you start to dread it you know you, you probably you go past that toilet once and you hear that awful noise that sounds like a monster coming to get you once and then you go to school every day and you're walking past that toilet again again and again and again and that it kind of reinforces that feeling of I don't feel safe like I don't know what that noise is I know I know how it makes me feel but I don't understand necessarily why it makes me feel that way absolutely and it and the and more to the point of you don't understand why so it's it's just yeah. further, it's just further more frustrating for you because you don't I, you don't want this to be the case but it's all you're able to really comprehend at the time and so that was kind of the situation for a while I I actually bless my my year my year one teacher at the time I bit my teacher's hand because <laughs> whatever whatever was happening I remember getting quite the the verbal shakedown from my dad yeah as a kid for that because you know that's not really what it's not really what you know you know two very proud immigrant portuguese parents who have done well to instill your ch your child with good manners and everything like that and just you know have a lovely normal life it's not really what you want to hear and also because i have a younger sister and because she's three years younger than me she is her she was you know her her journey with autism was a fairly fairly fair bit more difficult than mine she wasn't speaking until she was four. You know, her milestones were very delayed. So they were discovering kind of the issues with me at the same time as her. So a lot of stress, you know, for them to bring home. But, you know, we, we, I was in, I was going to specialists, to pediatricians, to psychologists, psychiatrists. And then at the age of five or six, yeah, I think I was about to turn six. They managed to put, we don't use the term anymore, but they used Asperger syndrome. Yeah. Obviously, obviously now only classified as autism because that's mm -hmm. essentially, what, essentially what it is. Yeah, that that was that. But I didn't know. I guess I I could acknowledge I was different, but I really didn't think much on it. I just thought people were different to me. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. You're looking you look at, at your, you only view it from your perspective, and you're like, well, no one's like me. Therefore, you know, you don't ever think. Of course, yeah, yeah. You never think. You never think. Oh, you know, I could be the thing that's different. But then, my dad would say, look, if anyone tries to you know annoy you it was like i was eight years old seven or eight years old at the time i was going into year three that's the first time i remember he was like you need to say i've got asperger's syndrome i'm mm. different please don't please don't bully me you just don't understand yeah and you know a million and one different ways just to try and diffuse situation i was like what actually is asperger's and what is autism and then i read voraciously as a kid so yeah. Being given early resources and looking into it, so you had Freaks, Geeks, and Asperger's by Luke Jackson. 
books by Tony Atwood. I, I, I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed reading like kind of advanced things. So I thought, well, let's try and read what the doctor says and just different books, like adults guides to autism. So that kind of showed me, wow, I am very different. A lot of reading as well for somebody when you, you were that young, but it, it obviously must be quite intense at times to read that stuff when you're younger. But again, obviously incredibly helpful and incredibly informative and helping you to build that understanding perhaps earlier than a lot of people would expect to. A hundred percent. I feel like that, that it's, that's made a massive impact because it's the reason I was able to stay because I went to a mainstream school. Yeah, me and, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like we have it, it's a unique like it's a unique experience in that, you know, it certainly is. <laughs> you, you yeah. know, like you never feel like you fit in, even though all the accommodations have been made for you. Like I had. 25 hours a week like one-to-one support with TAs and stuff like that I had extra learning outside of school I you know it was the effort was really made for me in the areas that I just wasn't excelling in whether that be socially or in certain subjects like maths Mm. um so like they do you do all you can but you still never feel like you belong and that's that that's just the gutting thing but things became easier and I feel like as we've gone on just in terms of just in terms of life and just in terms of science and everything people are so much more aware now and I'm forever grateful for it like I can talk to people about autism now and they won't look at me weirdly they'll be like oh yeah like uh, nine times out of ten people will be like I've heard of it or I've seen something about it and even though that source material may not be great then yeah. you know they'll, they'll kind of know what it is or even better they'll have an autistic family member or they'll be autistic themselves so it's you know yeah it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a new phenomenon even though the research really isn't it's not even a century old in terms of like genuine autism research mm. yeah i mean it's sort of i suppose there are, i suppose if i could put it in a, a sentence the majority of society's awareness now is kind of entry-level awareness of yeah. I've, I've at least heard of it i at least know something about it i've got a family member i've got a friend who is autistic etc obviously there is a long way to go but of course yeah I think it does definitely helps when people don't just look at you and go what the hell does that mean you yeah know, am I should I be scared of you should I keep away from you that kind of thing I think I think we have definitely improved with that in mind absolutely um, which obviously helps because I am thinking of those small children at school who either have yet to realize that they are different from their peers or are currently going through that and I really think that that level of awareness coming up just means that they don't spend so much time like you and I in those situations where you think "Hmm, this is lonely this is isolating this is kind of uh this is a very kind of scary place to be you know and 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 that's essentially why I think there's a lot of work being done on autistic awareness and acceptance it's why people are making autistic podcasts like this one. And it's why people are being advocates for the, the autistic community is to make sure actually really that a next generation ahead of us of small children who are going through the institutions of education, the workplace, etc. when they get older, they don't find themselves incredibly isolated. They don't feel like they don't belong on the, the world that they were born into. That's incredibly powerful work. But there's a long way to go. Of course, there is. But that's why we're all here. So, <laughs> you no, know. absolutely, it is. It's 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 vital because we yeah. need. You know, I feel like at this stage we've got we've we've had awareness. We've, we're getting acceptance, and now it's about establishing agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really really great way to put it. Absolutely, absolutely. like it's important. Just on a on a quick note, I th- I feel now that we can now that we're finding ways to advocate for ourselves because I feel like social media like troublesome thing that it is mm. has enabled 
so much in terms of accessibility. Like I go on TikTok now and I've lost count of how many autistic people who are just amazing, like amazing, genuinely amazing influencers and just people who have so much information and they've got masses, like massive followings, like coming up to like a million followers. And I just think, I wish I had that growing up. I wish I had that yeah validation just that just that thing because the first time i kind of felt accepted even in the neurotypical sense was when i realized that people have the same thoughts as me because yeah. like it's such a bizarre thing to think you know because a person well of course we're people we all think the same but when you're so when you spent so much time like over analyzing yourself because you want to fit in and then you think does anyone else have to do the same thing as me and then you think actually mm -hmm. no people do like even on a neurotypical or a neurodivergent level and it's 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 re it's reassuring, but then the fact that there is someone out there on TikTok who has the exact same overstimulation as you, or they stim, or they they self stim in the same way, or they just you know it it's these little idiosyncrasies that when you know they relate to you on that level, it is the most comforting thing, and it reminds you, I exist, I feel normal, and that's okay. Absolutely, yeah, and it's incredibly as as well as yeah really kind of establishing that it's not just you in isolation as well it's very freeing sometimes because you think okay well actually now I do have the space I do have the almost the platform to go do you know what these the like you said these little kind of compartments or these these little bits of me that I would normally hide or I would mask them away or kind of make excuses for them that it's sort of all it what it does is I think most importantly is helps to establish that those can be on show those can be kind of all-encompassing and you don't have to kind of compartmentalize them away because you can see you've, you have role models you have people that are brave enough to use their platform for positive and for good and it gives you that kind of self-reassurance and that self-confidence that that's okay for you too um and at the same time obviously educating everyone around you so that when you are comfortable to do that that they'll be on board with it as well so you know it's all it's all important stuff i have to say that i don't touch tiktok i've never used tiktok i don't um, blame i don't blame you it's addictive i feel like it exploits the already short attention span that humanity has <laughs> yeah it's possibly so yeah absolutely and i think that's a whole different conversation about social media and its pros and cons but i think we all know what the pros and cons are and uh, you know it's, <laughs> it's here to stay by the looks of things so but absolutely you've made a really good point about social media and the exposure of society and the population to something like autism. I think without social media, we would not be where we are now. Absolutely. I think it's made a, a big impact in that way. Yeah. So really, I obviously, you know, your what you do for a living, what you do with your skill set and your time is a big factor of why I wanted to talk to you. Um, for full transparency, obviously not nearly at the same level, but there's something you and I have in common. Um, oh, yeah. which is that we both have an acting background which I didn't kind of I've never actually spoken about on this podcast before so that's going to be a new one for anyone listening Ooh, it's a first people it's a first it's a first yeah <laughs> we, we, we both have a bit of an acting background mine is less extensive than yours but I it says who says who no it's it, yours is just as valid I'm sure that's really kind thank you no um, of course no it is it is and it's important to acknowledge it's important to acknowledge this whatever stage you're at like yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. have to be professional to be full and meaningful. And, you know, it has to, it just has to have helped you. And I'm, I trust it has. I mean, so my, if I give, a, you know, considering I'm the podcast host and I've never spoken about this, I suppose I should give a little bit of background just to relate. Um, so mine was, 
you know it started obviously the traditional route growing up with kind of school plays or whatever else and then my GCSEs and my A-levels were very heavily acting drama theatre focused that was kind of my biggest subject and one that I followed through with for the whole time and then I was intending to go on to higher education the kind of university model with that in mind but that didn't happen that fell through unfortunately um but then in the years since it's kind of been more in the kind of amateur dramatics area if I've ever had the time or the inclination to to be in that but no I mean I I I love acting I I miss it I miss it terribly actually but every opportunity I've had to kind of pick it back up again and run with it then I've taken it and it's just been an absolute delight when I spoke to you about coming on there was that big link that we kind of mysteriously had that I've not mentioned until now yeah it's just a great world it is it is spectacular I owe everything and my my I owe I owe my development as a human being to it just as as performing in general I my journey with acting if I'm being honest, I always wanted it, whether mm-hmm. I acknowledged it openly at the time or not. It was something that excited me and it was something that I enjoyed. And whether that was, um, to be fair, drama, like even even the medium of like impressions, because that's where I kind of started with. That's when I knew I could make people laugh or do something. So yeah, I, me too. Yeah, I, yeah. At, I, at the wonderful age of, I, at the wonderful age of like, I think it was, it was 10 years old. I watched Come Fly With Me and Little Britain sketches. Yes. Yes, Anthony. <laughs> Far too young. Far too young. <laughs> we all were. We all were. <laughs> but <laughs> That's brilliant. I yeah, I would watch it and I would do I would do impersonations of the sketches that I would I would do that and people would laugh because they were all watching it too, just like everyone was watching the Inbetweeners, which I actually didn't. I, I joined on a bit later for that hype. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. But I would do impressions because I just had a like mimicry is just something. I mean, it helps in performing, but it's just something I've always done. It definitely helps. And I feel yeah. like, I feel like just my autistic, like, because obviously, because I did my, th- I did my dissertation on this. The autistic brain is very good at systemizing and processing and understanding patterns. That's kind of why we have seen, to, uh, we are seen to have prolific abilities in these different things like maths, music, like these sometimes freakishly good savant abilities. Like you tell someone a date, you tell, you tell someone their birthday they'll tell you the day you were born, you know, all that, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Why, why some people have perfect pitch. I have relative pitch. I don't have perfect pitch. I did have music training whilst I was at college. I, I, I like music, but I'm not like universal, absolute perfect pitch. Um, mm-hmm. But mimicry was just something that came quite easily. So whether that be accent or language, that's how I kind of started. And it's just something that, you know, I, I thought, well, this is fun. People, people seem to like it and I feel very comfortable, happy doing it. And it's something I'm good at. So those kind of early validators push you to want to do it, push you to want to do it more. And I sang anyway. We had a, I, to my, to our credit, to my, to the school's credit, uh, the music teacher I had, Miss, Miss, uh, Miss King, Mrs. King, Claire King. Shout out, shout out. Shout out, big shout out. I'll be doing a lot of shout outs here. Um, <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> she, thank you. I appreciate that. She was, um, is, she was just young and had so much energy and she made music cool and fun, like to the point, like we, we you know, I'll, I'll admit it. We had good singers at my school because we were encouraged to just sing well and I enjoyed singing and yeah, yeah. my first kind of real exposure in like a production kind of sense. There were others, I won't mention them because they are just very <laughs> embarrassing. But the first one where it was like fun, I had a Scottish teacher in year seven and we, you know, we did like the Leavers play and a lot, a lot of schools decide to, you know, you take the mick out of your teacher. And you, mm. you know, you dress up as them. So I dressed up as the legend that is Miss Hayward. 
<laughs> and, shout out again. Uh, big shout out, yeah. And I did a very, and she had a quite, a, she had a noticeable Scottish accent. So me doing that and them giving me a, it was a genuinely magical script at the time now that I think about it. I just got laugh after laugh. And yeah. it was, it was a great time. And but people were asking my mum, oh, does he do acting classes? And my mum was like, no, he's, he's never done one in his life. And they were like, what, really? Yeah. So... <laughs> that was that was that and then that kind of early validation was it was very fun you know I feel like you know the first time you get on stage it, it is like and you see people smiling and you know yeah, to you. yeah it is I mean that reaction is, I mean yeah. the reaction of, of any audience or any 100%. crowd when it when it's when it's something that you've instigated or something you've triggered or something that has you've you know a line you've said or a joke you've made or a kind of a comment in a, in a script that, that's you know someone's reacted too well I mean it's such a it's something you don't necessarily expect the first time or indeed with me I never took it for granted but when it happens it's just like wow this is so cool oh it is it is like it is like gold it's 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 the it's the biggest rush you you can ever feel and it's just your brain will thank you for it when you know sometimes Mm. you you learn now obviously you know you don't you can't you shouldn't play for laughs all the time excuse me all the time but when you do it's really good yeah, and yeah, this, yeah, yeah, and this so that kind of continued, and I, you know, I, I, I did want to be a performer, but I never kind of vocalised that because I had, I had, I had other interests and things would take, you know, when they're when you're a kid, you want to be a million and one things. So acting was always there in the back of my head, and I wanted to do it. And then my mum my kind of thought, and I, my best friend of you know the longest time, Freddie, who is also autistic as well our mums, you know, thought, oh, well, let's try and get them into something because they're both, you know, quite artistically inclined. Mm-hmm. So we joined this amazing youth organisation called um, Extraordinary, well, Diverse City. Mm-hmm. And a Diverse City are an arts organisation um, dedicated to integrated performing arts and, you know, a disability awareness within neurodivergency, physical disabilities. They're a huge organisation that have grown exponentially since their inception in 2007, I want to say. That's incredible. That's it's a like- great thing. Yeah, thank you. Let's and you and you've got um, you've just done my job for me. You've just done all the background work and all the research. So. <laughs> no worries at all. Do you want a job? <laughs> no, let's do it. Let's do it. That sounds yeah. incredible. Like, and, yeah. and that obviously, clearly, for you, that's made a massive difference and a massive impact, and has has been something that yeah helped you on your journey. Absolutely, and it was a very unorthodox way into getting to what I've done now because it was very kind of the the focus was kind of like dance and musical theatre. Well, no, mm-hmm. no, well, no, actually, no, I, I lie. It was not musical theatre. It was like dance and physical theatre. That's, I don't know why musical theatre was in my head. Maybe because I do it for a living. No, um, I was going to say, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I did that. And then I kind of took what, because I did street dance at the time too. And that was, that I get, I need to, I give that, I need to, I must give that more credit where it's you. That gave me a very good sense of musicality. And just, that was one of the first times I felt accepted. So I brought that kind of experience I had forward. Freddie brought his music production skills and his singing because, mm-hmm. Freddie is like one of the most, he's the most gifted musician I've ever met. And he's my best friend. So love Good him. Freddie. Good old Freddie. Love him to pieces. Um, but I did that. And then they invited me into this senior performance company, which they called the Remix. And then that became Remix Gold because we were the gold standard. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but it, honest, honestly, Jack, it gets so much more convoluted. I hope you're ready. Um, I'm ready. I'm just, ready. Just, just to make a long story short, I went from doing that. And because they did circus, like actual circus and aerial, you know, stuff like that. So Bowser. I like... That was, yeah, that was big because Remix and like Diverse City, the way they kind of got this into circus and stuff, the early founding members like had experience and they'd worked with circus companies and they had links to these different people. And they performed this, like, because I, I joined in 20, 
I want to say I joined in 2012 or 2013. No, it was 2013 because they did the opening from for the London um, Olympics because water, because I'm from, so I'm from, I'm originally from Dorset, like, which is down by the sea, like in between Hampshire and Devon as counties. Okay. And there's a little, and, and there's a coastal town called Weymouth, which is a, like half an hour, nice. maybe 40 nice. minutes from me. And they did the opening of the, the water-based events down there. And there was a massive performance and there was loads of aerial and circus. And it was it was just a huge event in terms of like integrated performing arts, in terms of circus. And it really showcased the first, it kind of shot Diverse City as a company onto like the just the, the performance stage. Mm-hmm. And it's where, it's where a lot of funding and notoriety came from. And so I joined that company and I started training in circus. And I was an external student of this amazing place in London called the National Centre for Circus Arts. It used to be called Circus Space. I, on my holidays, from like the ages of 13, 14, all the way till I was like 17, 18, mm-hmm. I would go up every 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 holiday I could get and I would be training and doing intensives in aerial trapeze, silks and stuff like that. And I had supporting classes for this and they gave me a bursary to train with and my training partner, Rebecca. And Rebecca was like, well, you need to start ballet and they've asked you to start ballet so you can develop strength and line and stuff like that. So... I started ballet classes with a wonderful dance school and they said, well, you've got a knack for singing. You know, you can sing too. Is, is musical theatre something you're willing to consider? So I kind of slowly swapped out circus for musical <laughs> theatre. Like, and yeah. the more I think about it, because I used to think, oh, there was no shot of me doing it. I was lucky. Yeah. I was lucky, but I was also lucky I had such a high interest because... I mean, lucky and clearly, yeah. ded- clearly dedicated, clearly passionate yeah, and clearly talented. Thank you. So luck, I mean, luck sometimes does play a part, plays a role. Of course it does. But you you have to be lucky to be in the right places, to be at the right time, you know, to be in the right kind of company, etc. A lot of the time. But luck luck doesn't replace all those natural things that you clearly have. So um, that's that's that. Yeah, that that is. Yeah, that is true. That's actually a very uh, you've you've given me a very refreshing way to to think about it, because I feel like that's what I'm here for. (laughs) No, but I feel like. Imposter syndrome, just I feel like oh, it, oh yes, I feel like it attacks. <laughs> I know, I know that. Oh yes, oh, I yes. feel like it attacks us with a vengeance because when we do do well, even by just objective standards, like for for context, like I did well at my A levels, and it's you know I did I did you know I did my A levels. I took a year out of you know I took a year out after school, which was kind of mum had a mum and dad had a few issues about because they were like well you know you could have gone to university because like i think i had other things i was interested in interested in i was considering law or business and a language because i was really good i was really good at languages like i did i did a level french and i had a you know more or less fluent grasp on the language still kind of do um so that's probably my main special interest aside from drama languages which i guess you know special interest whoop whoop yeah of course we've got to shout those out I completely lost my train of thought. Oh no, so have I. We were talking imposter syndrome. Imposter um, it, syndrome. It hits, it. It, it hits us a lot harder because when we do well by the objective standards, it still does, it will never it will never feel real because you've put yourself in you've mentally put yourself in this box for so long that when you do do something, you can never quite get the full. I mean, I'm sure like I have it. Like it hit me when I got into when I got into Bird when I did my audition. I was very lucky to be offered a place on the day. That I, the buzz I got from that was. Was unre- I was kind of, you know, just mm. speechless for the majority of the car journey home. 
I mean, I have to say about imposter syndrome, it's something that the last two seasons of this podcast has come up over and over and over again. If I've ever spoken to other guests, it's usually something they've also mentioned at some stage, either in some kind of large or small capacity. And I can only begin, well, to to somewhat relate, because of course it's been a part of my history, but also imagine that in the role that you're occupying you know the 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 industry the career role that you're occupying imposter syndrome like you said can not only exist but it can must at times absolutely ravage you to the point where you must start to think this is exhausting a hundred percent and i feel like it was you know drum i think i think when you go to when you go to a performing arts school you get a lot of time with your thoughts, but at the same time, you don't because it's a very, like, especially with like, you know, the top end drama schools where you get that contact time and you get those hours, like you're working, you know, I was used to hard work. Like before, before I went to, before I went to college, I was working, I was training probably like, you know, in excess of 12, 15 hours a week, physical mm-hmm. training outside of things so that, whether that be circus, that would be, I'd be going to the gym. I'd be doing like a gymnastic session. I'd be dancing, I'd be singing, I'd be performing. So, you know, I'm used to a busy life and, I know, yeah. I know that I know I work well within that and I, it suits me as a person. But when you go to drama school and then it becomes it becomes your life, you don't really get much time to kind of sit with your thoughts or what you, you do. And then a lot of nasty mental health issues can kind of manifest of course, because, yeah. because yeah. you know, or you don't because maybe you're not you're not equipped to deal with it. And, you know, that's OK. You're not expected to be able to deal with these things first time around. It's, it's you know, it's just a part and parcel of our industry to, you know. Because, you know, you, you are your own product, you are your business, and those are the skills. You don't work for a company, you don't represent them, you are your business, you represent yourself. So yeah, it's, very exhaust- it's very exhausting when you are your business to kind of deal with, you know, to kind of deal with that. And when you go out into, it's going out and graduating that I think has taught me the lot, the most about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Because of like, you know, like I, th- what I have done has, you know, I have been very successful and consider myself very lucky. And just in terms of just in terms of work consistency, because within the specific model of musical theatre, it's a very concentrated field and people like who actually get into working into musicals straight out of college or they stay in London or they still stay in the industry. Like I was talking to my singing teacher about this the other day. It's like it, it, it's it's like less than two percent of people that actually maintain their wow. thing or, you know, like because, you know, it's it's people admit to themselves, okay, this isn't working or, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to kind of sit with yourself and just go, this isn't working or I don't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. I mean, I am so stubborn and narrow-minded. I can't imagine doing anything other than performing because yeah. I started yeah. too late. Like I started doing everything. I consider myself, you know, a late starter to everything. So I, I, I said some really corny quote to my girlfriend the other day. I was like, well, I've always been I've always been late to starting everything. For once in my life, I just want to get ahead of the curb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of been, a, that's always kind of been a thing in my mind. It's put pressure on me to do well, to achieve a lot very quickly. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I feel like, especially when we know we're good at something as autistic people, we, we, spr- we, we sprint before we're like crawl. We, you know, they say run before you walk. We're sprinting before we're like sitting up. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. You obviously sometimes you just run into things and think, mm, yeah, I haven't really thought this through, or the, the logical side hasn't necessarily. Well, yeah, because and when and it's it's the irritation and the perfectionism that comes in when your brain can't when when your brain can make sense of it, but your body can't enable it, or your brain can't make sense of it at all. In which case, it's more frustrating. So, mm, yeah, you know, that, 
is is it's an, it, that's an exhausting thing, especially when you're training and to kind of work through those perfectionistic tendencies. So would you say in terms of being autistic and as an actor, would you say that there are parts of autism that have helped you in, absolutely. Your, in your career? And, and do, are there examples of that that you can kind of pick out? Yes, absolutely. So with autism, I my just my pick up for lines and like I'll be the kind of guy that I'll be the kind of guy like if I know the script well enough, I'll be quoting everybody's I'll be mouthing everybody's not in front of them, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. if I'm yeah. in a dressing room, the show's going on, I'll be mouthing everyone else's lines and kind of doing the song to like a scarily accurate degree. So that has helped me and I had brilliant teachers in college to help me for this. Yeah, that has helped me as a swing. So what a swing is in the context of a musical theatre show and just a, a, a play, a performance, a swing is a company member in the ensemble who has to learn multiple, what we call tracks, so multiple characters and pathways and their journeys throughout the show. So whether that be physical, moving set, their choreography, their vocal line. And a swing can either be off stage or on stage, and they will supplement places in the ensemble so for people who are ill, or if you've got an ensemble member who is a cover for a lead. So, for example, if we were in the show of Wicked, yeah. if you, if you were to if you had one guy who was cover Fierro, mm -hmm. and Fier the main Fierro is not on; he's on holiday. Cover Fierro goes in. I replace that cover's track. And my first, so my first job was a was a panto. So we only had one cut. We only had like one or two covers. It was a small company, and we didn't we didn't have to go on. It was a really good thing. No one was ill. It was a good time. But in my second job, which was kind of a big jump. I was a dancer for the Royal Opera House. Oh wow! So that was yeah. Wow. Talking, yeah, this imposter syndrome kicks in. I still feel I still feel weird talking about it. It's the most bizarre thing in the I world. I get it. I get it. But um, I I audition. It was it was a lovely audition. I was I was just I was going to my I was finishing. You know, I finished the audition. I was going to my restaurant job. It was a fun audition, but they were only looking for one place because the company had been more or less filled. And then a week and a half later, it's rush hour during a shift. I get a missed call from my agent. I go into the, I go into the the, bar, the the toilet to check it, and she's there like you've been offered off stage swing at the Royal Opera House. You start on Monday. Bearing in mind, I'd started at this new restaurant job like three weeks beforehand. Wow! So that was, <laughs> yeah, that that was mad. And then going into that, like college for all for, you know, college train you well. They really do, but mm -hmm. especially as a swing, like I've talked to a lot of my swing friends, you can be as well prepared. You can be as best prepared as you like nothing will prepare you for the first time you do get like swung on or you have to you know yeah yeah, yeah. and you know so learning up and you know learning we are with the dancers we i think there was like 10 of us i had to learn i i had to learn nine individual tracks that was you know once i had adapted my brain to it and i kind of let my brain you know relax and sort of sort of do it and it improved my pickup it improved my ability to pick up choreography which has helped in auditions and classes etc etc Doing that was a very valuable experience and it taught me because I didn't think I had the patience or the capacity or the professionalism or, you know, the the calmness to be a swing. But I, you know, I enjoy mm -hmm. it. I get a rush out of it. And the first time I was, I was swung on, my, my colleague had come down with with food poisoning. I was late. I was late to a show that day. Anyway, I think I figured it was going to be a show watch. But I come in. The trains were late. So I was already in a flustered mood. I come in and one of my colleagues, Simon, he was like, um, another, so we had another castmate called Anthony, who is who I went on to cover. They were like, Anthony is having severe stomach pains. You might be going on for him today. Do you want to run through his choreo? Thank God I knew his track. Yeah. But it wasn't the whole show because he did, he did the, he did the, um, he did the first, well, it's, it was a three act opera, but like for the, for, he did the first half. So he did the first half of the show, came off and he was like, I, I, I can't do this. And they were like, Anthony, you're on. So, I went on, I, I I did it, and that was, I that was that was the biggest adrenaline rush of my life. Like I know I know this because 
before I went on, I was so nervous. I was able to bash out like 50 press ups, which I've never done before. So that was good achievement. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) It was insane. Like, yeah, that was that. that Sorry, there's one like there's one word that jumps into my head instead of what you used, but what you used is incredible and, and very, very positive. The one word that jumped out at me was overwhelming. I mean, I, I I just imagine someone saying to me like, "Oh, by the way, you're you're up, you're on," and I like without the warning or the preparation time, it's, it feels in my head a bit like, "Whoa!" What? Oh yeah, that was to be fair. That was that was that was not what's not worst case scenario, but like there are mm. hard to believe that there are worse situations than that. But there are so many much better ones than that. Like you, you'll normally mm. get notice. Like like I guess with because like because the thing is with opera, it's a different schedule. You're only performing every few days. You're a part of a season, so it's quite you know. Like there have been other times where I've done it, and you know I get noticed that someone's not going to be there for a rehearsal, or I or, or someone's not doing a show because they've got you know I, I get like a day in advance as opposed to two hours or like maybe less than that. It yeah. was it, it was overwhelming. It, it, you know it was a lot, but I I you know the the sense of achievement I got from that was ri- ridiculous. And yeah, so, no, I can I, I can I can almost that, envisage that. That yeah, kind exactly. of that kind of validated my ability as you know my my confidence in myself as a dancer and just you know my my place within this as a career and then because of the good job I've done I was invited back to audition and you know the good word in that the opera house have put for me means that visiting creatives can be like okay he's trustworthy he's done a good job he's done x y and z and it means for the last you know until June so from like April of last year till June of this year I was working pretty much on and off freelance at the Royal Opera House quite regularly. Mm. So that was, that was nice. That was a real sense of achievement. And, you know, as a performer, it's rare. It's not, it's not rare. It's, it's, it's a privilege. It's a privilege when you can say I've got work for the next, you know, a year and a half, you know, I mean, one thing that does reinforce is the sense of in a lot of autistic people is your sense of needing structure or routine you know, if you know that you've got that ahead of you, like you said, for a year and a half, and you know what you're going to do, doing, you know where you're going to be, you know what's needed of you. I mean, that's that's a that's a huge positive, I would say. Absolutely, and it it, it you know it it valid it gave me validation in my identity oh, as a performer, yeah, yeah. and yeah, just generally generally great. And I've no I've noticed a difference without getting you know too dark. I've 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 not felt great recently, mainly because my you know my impatient brain wanting to get back on the performing train straight away because i'm not i'm not performing at the moment i'm not in a job i'm you know i've i've got a muggle i love saying that a muggle job sorry muggle I, job. I love it i love that sorry yeah that's that's, that's a performerism we say oh we've got our muggle job because what we do is magic so yeah i've got my normal job at the moment and i'm just auditioning and doing what i can before i get back on the performing train again yeah no absolutely i think that's I could, so the one thing I can well, there's lots of things I can tell about you, but the one thing I think consistently keeps coming through about you is I can tell you're best when you're investing the energy and the motivation and the passion you have into what you do to the best of your ability. I can I can tell that that's kind of you've been raised like that. You've been kind of encouraged along the the road on along your journey by people that you come into contact with, like your teachers or you know people in your in your profession. Obviously, it's pretty clear that your parents have been massive, massive supporters of you and, you know, incredibly encouraging. That really kind of shines through. Um, and I think it's so, I think it's so refreshing because it's not a dig at any at anyone else in the autistic community, but there is almost quite naturally, there is this sense of, you know, not fitting into the world naturally and kind of thinking, well, 
I don't know where my path is. I don't know how to, which direction to go in. I don't kind of, you know, getting people to understand me and whatever. And, and that's I, okay. And that's okay. Of course it is absolutely okay. I feel like with you, you just really grabbed something. And with that kind of stubborn determination, like you put it, it, it it's really kind of, you've propelled yourself forward. I appreciate, and, I appreciate that. And I, that's incredibly... That's an incredibly powerful demonstration for anyone who looks at an autistic individual and goes, they're lesser, they are not as good. They, oh, they... 100%. I am, it, it make, it, to be fair, it, the fact that there are attitudes like that in the world mm. genuinely anger. Like, I, it's one of the few things that like drives me to anger. Mm. And Quite I, rightly. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, as you said, you know, this sense of not belonging and this hopelessness, it is a gutting thing. It's okay to feel, you know, it's natural. Yeah, given that, it's yeah. natural, given a few things, given that just the way our brains are built, I hate saying this, like, I, I, I'm learning so much about more about, it's only in the last kind of like five years, really. So yeah. through university, through my dissertation, because my dissertation was on autism. Which is incredible, by the way. Thank you. It, <laughs> it was, it, it was a, it, that was a real learning experience for myself, just learning and connecting with the wider community. And looking mm. at statistics, how much more depressed we are and how much more like out of work we are. And just given that, given that society views us one way and that, and that we have issues that make us a certain way, like, of course, it's going to be, it's, it's, you know, yeah, you know, I could have, I could, you know, I, I wouldn't have been blamed. I would not have been blamed for being resigned to a certain fate and, you know, not doing anything, but mm. my, you know, to, to the credit of my parents, you know, yeah, <laughs> they were not going to. They were not going to settle for that. They no. wanted well. They were they were they would be grateful for what they were grateful for whatever I could do. But once they realised that I had, a, once they knew I could, because they just wanted me to do well and be happy. You know that's why they put me in through so many things. Why I was an active child. Me and yeah. my, both me and my sister. The moment they found out I was good at something or they knew I could do something, they would not let up because they knew how hard it would be for me. But they were there like you need to be the best. That you know you need to be. The best, they were like, you should try if, if you can, then you should. My dad was like, if you can, then you should be the best, as a lot of parents would do. You know, yeah. they can see that you have a talent, if you can see that you have a skill set and you have those abilities, yeah. You know, in a world that for most of it, you're going to feel like you don't actually naturally fit or naturally belong, but actually, here you have something that you are clearly good at and equipped and skilled at and geared for. And I suppose in their heads as well, actually, you know you do have a purpose and it's time that people saw that actually you still have a lot of purpose you still have a lot to bring a lot to offer and you know not that's I mean that's just as a career but also as an individual you know it, it, even interviewing you on a podcast your personality is shining through because you can see you know you can see your strengths you can see your weaknesses you can see kind of the qualities you can see the values you hold I mean and that's just been in kind of 45 minutes so far you know, so that's... I appreciate I, that, Jack. I think it's a real testament, actually, not only to your parents, but also to you as an individual who's, you know, come into a world as somebody who from a very young age has just described feeling different and knowing and increasing their awareness of feeling different, which so many autistic people will, will go through and will experience. But then going, do you know what? What, uh, what have I got to offer? What, yeah. what, what have I got in my tool belt? that actually I can use to propel myself into my present and into my future rather than, and again, there is nothing, like you said, and I completely agree with you, there is nothing wrong with kind of resigning yourself to almost being compartmentalized or kind of feeling like, you know, I'll, I'll just do what I can manage. I'll just do what I can cope with. Cause that's fine too. 
It really is. Completely. And I, that's something I'm learning to try and do because given, I mean, given what I've done with my life and the expectations that I've put on myself mainly because it, that's where all the perfectionism, it's self-oriented perfectionism. Mm-hmm. The perfectionism that's kind of expected from my industry and the expectations of my family yeah, I you know when I don't do something like it is, it, it, I don't know. I'm not saying people don't suffer, but with me specifically, it just hits me in the gut a little bit harder when I don't meet either my ridiculously high expectations or the bare minimum. Because as you said, like it's okay to resign yourself as an autistic person, but then I feel like, oh, but like you know, I, something stupid like oh, I haven't done my washing in a little bit. Like oh, mm. like what's the point? You know, I'm such a I'm such a crap person. Yeah. Whilst realizing that also many normal people struggle with their executive function. Well, I say normal, many neurotypical people struggle with their executive function anyway. Yes. And then when I'm not like, it's, it's, I've only been graduated to like two years. So I'm still kind of getting used to the idea of this performing career not being linear and that it will be cyclical and that it will be, it will have peaks and troughs. And, you know, I will be, I might, I might be out of work now for a little bit. I don't think that will be the case, but mm. it, it's, it's accepted. It's, it's learning to accept and learning to just, you know, not nitpick and not be as perfectionistic and not because otherwise, yeah. like, because I, you know, the, it nearly happened in college and COVID. I don't really like talking about it. Mm. COVID kind of, you know, COVID. I mean, COVID was what it, the way I think about it. COVID was what it was for people. If people say they benefited, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to, you know, say, oh, well, it was hard for everyone else because it was hard for everyone. But some people used it as a time for this, and you know, it was time that we had it was like it was it was you know it was it was time it was something that happened to us but yeah covid kind of reset that for me because in second year i i think i think i was on the path to burning out i was doing so much in second year we were doing external external showings for our college so we'd be visiting venues and like performing a different thing well not that they happened like it was just in the run-up to that we were due to do a college production in wales of west side story i was going to be bernardo like i i was you know I was busy, but I was, I, without realizing I was slowly burning out as well, because during second year, I was, I was also miserable. Like I, like second year was a dark point for me because I don't talk, I won't talk about it too much, but I would hinge like the success of my day. If I, if I could nail a pirouette in my ballet class. And if I could like, I walked out, I don't normally do this. Like I, I walked out of a lesson once cause I couldn't cope. Mm. And it, my teacher was like, this isn't like you, are you okay? And I yeah. spoke about it with a few teachers, but then, you know, I made up for it. And at the end of the year, I got the most improved. I got most improved. I got an award for most improved in my class. I got, I got my ballet was like my best dance grade that year. I got like a, th- I got first. So that's incredible. Yeah. So, congratulations for that. You know, retrospectively. Thank um, you, yeah. Did um, and then, again, I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I don't want to. I don't. No, wanna, no. I don't want to bring up anything that's that's tricky. But we don't actually use. I mean, I don't. <sighs> I have to say, this is now my third season of this podcast, and I haven't actually really touched upon this COVID word that much because I almost refuse to give it attention. Um, no, no, and that's, and that's okay. No, but also, actually, do you feel like COVID destabilised you a little bit? Uh, kind of, or kind of um, put your, I guess, the schedule you'd built, the routine that you were used to, kind of the, the path that you were firmly on do you feel like it came along and shook that up or kind of maybe took away a bit of that kind of consistency yeah no that's a good question did or didn't make an impact at that time it did it mm. it, 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 it i mean to be fair i'm not gonna lie i thought of it as a hol- i thought of it as a holiday initially um mm-hmm. we all did so I think we did yeah yeah um and then when it kind of kicked in and then it destabilized me in the sense that i then i now had to 
transform a living space i had to transform a living space very exhausting to do mentally when you associate one space like because a lot of people were doing their dance assessments or doing ballet lessons in their bedroom yes which yeah. was like you like or you do it in the kitchen so we had to fit our like it was a very doing drama school in covid was probably the most bizarre thing ever like just even thinking about it doing ballet in the living room or like sure just yeah. or like doing your singing lessons when everyone else is working in the house or whatever so that was that was bizarre that and it did destabilize me like i was trying to trying to it, I, I i had no sense of routine because afterwards i, I would just relax and do my own thing and then mm. i need i i, I had counseling during covid so it, i it was definitely i was definitely destabilized for a little bit and that that really helped and thank god college were there because i i couldn't afford i couldn't afford therapy or counseling so that's what i thought and that's i'm i'm glad that it feels like that resonated with you because i didn't want to kind of put words into your mouth but no 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 absolutely i, 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 I need I needed it. Counseling was counseling. I benefited from it. And, you know, COVID, you know, that, so COVID was good. For, like COVID was, it was good for me. I was actually fitter during COVID than I was mm. for a long time, but mentally I I was at the bottom. I just, I felt, yeah. I felt worthless. I was there like, how am I going to pick it up? My motivation's gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can't, we can't get away from the fact that, you know, obviously we're both in the UK and we can, we can talk for the UK, but I'm sure in the, in the, the industry all over the world, this was, this was the case, but especially we noticed in our own country that during COVID, the um, creative performative industry took a massive, massive whack yeah. in terms of the damage that was done, the impact that it had, and, and really getting completely left behind for a long period of time with you know restrictions and guidelines and kind of rules etc put in place you know that that industry really was kind of just it's almost like someone turned the lights out and just was like yeah good luck and i I, you know not being in that that world during covid anymore but i remember looking at it from the outside as somebody who used to be in that world and i looked at it and thought how on earth are these people going to recover from this um, you know, thinking about other performers or thinking about everyone from top down to bottom, thinking how on earth are these people going to manage? Because that you know, that industry, you, you, you can't, you, you know, you can't do a play from home. You can't, you can't, it's not something you can kind of more naturally transport with you to your bedroom, like you said. It's something that you need to be in those spaces, in those performative areas, those kind of, you need to be around those people who are there to to inspire you, to to motivate you, to to help you be creative, etc., and when that's all taken away, like you said, your structure goes completely out the window. Yeah, absolutely, and it, and that's terrifying. Of course, it must be. Yeah, it it's 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 yeah. I I never thought about it to like the full extent as in like cause I because I refuse to believe well I refuse to believe that the theatre industry would shut down completely. I knew we'd be, I knew we'd be stunted and that it would take. Mm. I I said I I said realistically it will take us maybe maybe five years maybe like maybe around five years before we get back to the prosperity that the uk theater industry had before just mm. to, just to generate that kind of wealth again but i never anticipate i don't i don't uh, my thoughts about this government are you know many but i didn't i don't think that in the uk we would ever let something like our, our creative industries completely completely go to waste one because of the money they make there are it's objective aside from finance banking and to, aside from finance and tourism our creative industries are the biggest money maker for this country yeah and also it's just something that has been so inherent to our culture. Like we have some of the greatest, you know, our, you know, we've made some of the greatest artistic in- innovations with regards to plays and theatrics in general. So to let mm. that go to waste, I, th- I feel like would just be a shame to humanity, not just with regards to government policy. 
in terms of so we've obviously you've talked about kind of things that have helped you and things that have been and in terms of challenges as well obviously imposter syndrome being one of the big one that i totally expected to come out of your mouth yeah are there any other things that you found challenging from being autistic in your profession are there any parts of autism that have made things harder or become kind of barriers or got in the way uh, that you can just think off at the top of your head or yeah so socially some navigating certain social so, so certain social situations was was interesting because um, yeah i mean that industry is very very social it's very social so you're like you don't like you <sighs> And you, you, it's it's you're always having to waste energy thinking about who someone is, who you're talking to, like yeah. if you want, like because it's all about connections, and it's who, and it, it is who you know, obviously what you do, but you know who you know helps. So sometimes it's thinking, right, who's this person? Who do they know? Like, can I? Are they just a friend? Do they like me? Should I have said that in this situation? Can I joke like this with the director? Will they like me? Will they think I'm weird? Like, just a lot of over analyzing every situation and thinking of a mind map of conversations, mm. just to try and you know you know a multi-choice thing of like you know how should i do something what should i do do i want to be amiable or like you know i've worked with this director three times can i make a i've worked with this director three times now can like can i make a joke with them or like yeah. am i on that level with them you know do they like me is it and you know just this it, it, it's, it's 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 exhausting to try and you know it wasn't like that all the time but maybe, i think in the more towards the beginning because I, I was desperate to make a good you know i'm always desperate to make a good impression and do well yeah, and want people to respect me for my workload and just as a person yeah that, you know and that that came into college as well like because people liked me if they thought even if they thought I feel like people even if they thought I was weird or bizarre or a teacher's pet or an attention seeker or whatever they like they respected me like I, mm -hmm. I was respected because I I put in the graft I worked hard and I was I'm a good performer so I feel like yeah but so socially yeah socially is is you know that 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 I mean you know that is, that, that is a side that kind of sorry suffers with my job other stuff um i don't know I, that's the only thing i can think of that is really sort of something that i think that's, about that's okay i mean it's a big one i was i was just going to chip in and say that it, it i think what, what really plays into that is definitely validation you know when you're wanting to make a good impression you're wanting people to get you you're wanting people to understand your things like your sense of humor or your temperament or your personality you know i relate a lot to that you know whenever i meet new people i, I definitely there is a huge period of kind of um, anticipation, anxiety, where you're like, oh, you know, if they don't get Jack the first time round, I've lost that opportunity to make that first impression. or I've, lost that, I've yeah. lost that opportunity to show them my authentic self. And then I think, oh, no, am I going to have to fall into masking now to kind of recover it? And, I get that. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. I suppose as well, you know, you know, with something like imposter syndrome going hand in hand with the need for validation or the desire to have that validation from new people that that can be especially and I the one thing I remember about being a drama student or being involved in acting or involved in plays the social element is relentless I mean it's sometimes it was so relentless I was like I'm so exhausted from talking or listening to other people today I just need to go and shut myself away and not hear any audible cue because i just feel like it's social 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 all the time oh 100 um, and even, yeah I, I agree and even with people who you build a very special bond with like sometimes you'll sometimes i mean i was very it was very rare for me to do this um but sometimes you, you just don't want to go like if you, you've done a rehearsal you've done a show yeah. you don't want to go to the pub you want to go home you want to curl up in bed or you want to go and play, you, you yeah. want to go play some red dead redemption or fifa or you know just 
Yes, Anthony. Oh, man. Can you be my best friend? Of course, yeah. <laughs> Add me on PlayStation. It's all good. Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll sort that out. Um, yeah, Red Dead Redemption. Yes, perfect choice. FIFA, amazing choice. Anyway, back to the podcast. What was I talking about? Um, <laughs> yes. Imposter, bonding, imposter syndrome, is, socials. Um... I know, right? We're just talking about our social bonding. There we go. It's fine. The one thing I wanted to ask you, this one of the last two questions, what do you think about the connection between being an actor and the connection with autistic masking? Do you think there is a connection between the two in terms of having to fall into, as, as a lot of autistic people naturally have had to do or continue to do, or they, they know nothing else, of yeah. that ability to mask yourself as an autistic person with almost, you know, being an actor, playing different people, playing different roles, playing characters that aren't you? Absolutely. There, there, is, an intrin- there is an intrinsic link. I think what attracts... For me, what attracted me to being a performer was the idea that I could look. In my, it's a really weird pseudo philosophical thing. I don't know, but I feel like as an actor, I thought, well, being an actor is cool because if I can't pick a job, being an actor, you get to learn every job because you have to learn to be everyone. So mm. you learn everything as an actor. Therefore, yeah. that's the best thing to be. Yeah. I thought that, that's it's weird in that sense, but with regards to the masking. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like it's the two are interlinked because as an actor, you develop physical quirks. And with autism, you might want to maybe hide some physical quirks or just mm. you know, do some things or ticks or stims or things that you do that wouldn't be socially accepted or just, you know, laughed at. So there is that intrinsic link. I feel, you know, and just like acting, being the same, being a certain character or playing a certain thing can get exhausting because it's and, you know, unless you make it per- unless you personalize it, it can be quite, you know, it just it's alienating because you're alienating yourself from you're alienating you from yourself and what you actually are which your body will reject because you have such a strong connection to self mm. yeah and you will alienate yourself from other people because people like and people who i'm close with real are like it's it's seeing people react to me like when i mask or i demask and they see the change and they that a lot not a lot of people have been really accepting because they they just want to learn about autism they want to learn how i work and sometimes they'll just see me completely zone out or phase out and i will just stop masking and be like you okay and i'm like yeah i'm just i've just i'm just demasking that's why I'm, yes yeah. you know mm, powerful yeah definitely i relate to that but i've had comments um before from people who've said oh you know you like acting you like drama you study drama it feels like if you're autistic that wouldn't be the thing for you and i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> oh, is- 100, oh like autistic people i feel like just to like maybe maybe because it like stim- maybe because it helps to mask or because it just feels nice to be another person and not yourself mm. which, is, which is an awful thing to think of but i feel like acting is acting is fun you get to learn you get it's to, fun yeah it's fun it because you know we spend a lot of time not knowing how to read people so acting acting you you have to you have to be good at re- it forces you to be good at reading people and it, it forces you to crit it forces you to critically think because if you're like right okay we've established i have to be this person they're given circumstances okay where have they just come from what are they doing what would make them feel this way why would they make this choice in this situation like it it calls it like it completely activates that part of your brain that you either don't use or don't know how to use as an mm. autistic person so acting i just think as a form of therapy is so important it, it like the amount of the amount of autistic people I like, I know who have done their lambda exams or just go to drama school. The amount of perf- actors and performers who are autistic, like, yeah. yeah, it wouldn't be seen as something we naturally do because stereotypically we're just seen as very monotonous people who yes. don't, you know, yeah. we're yeah. just not seen like. But you know, you get get two pints in me, I will give you the best impressions you've ever seen, or like, you know, just noted. 
Yeah, <laughs> Julian. <Oakley. laughs> um, I'm just able to, you know, act. It. No, the two, the two, the two go hand in hand because you know they can help each other out. Not, not, but you know, but not every autistic person will be interested in acting. But if they gave it a go, it's just as a just as a form of therapy, or you know, like we have the ability to be good actors, not just because we already act and pretend to be normal, but because like because we throw ourselves so wholeheartedly into mm. trying to understand how other people work because that's ultimately you know something that we are seen to struggle with and by doing all by being as good at performers and you know just even from a recreational or professional standpoint i mean I, there's, yeah. I, you've literally explained it brilliantly i don't even need to follow that up because it, yeah that's exactly it you know i, I don't think i uh, i don't think i appreciated or gave myself enough credit as to how much that environment has helped me you know creatively and uh kind of almost with my social abilities or my ability like you said to critically think and to understand emotions of others or intention of character or personality or you know that that kind of individuality of playing a different person or playing a different role or or interacting with other people who are playing other characters and stuff it's i don't think i appreciated just how important that was for me um especially in those kind of really important teenage years which was primarily when i started doing it it was probably much more massively influential than I realise. And that's kind of highlighted it for me as well. Um, because, I, I, yeah, I don't think I was doing it before. I don't think I was ever thinking about kind of other people's intentions as deeply or kind of looking at people's emotional perspectives and that kind of thing. And it really does, like you said, it really does force you to do those things because you have to, because it's important for, for the work that you're doing and the role that you're building. And obviously, you know, as part of the, the story you're trying to tell. Yeah, that's really made me think, which is a good thing. No problem. So I appreciate that. <laughs> no, it, it it is it is it is it is vitally it is vitally important, as you said, because it for, it forces you to think. So, I think just you know, even if you don't get to do it, even if you don't do it professionally, just any kind of, I think I feel like it's that step. It's just making autistic people feel validated. It's just, and it it can be a lot harder because you know maybe some you know autistic people don't feel like they don't want to do anything. Fair enough, you, you have that prerogative. But my goodness, if you feel like you can and you feel like you'll enjoy it, my God, do it. Like, yeah, no, but no, no, I, I get. I know I, there's a definitely a fine balance, which I, I can get that we're both on that that wavelength. Is obviously, you know, we never underestimate that there are challenges, limitations, barriers, and and struggles, etc. But of course, like you said, it, the, the equally wonderful is realizing or um, almost kind of identifying that potential to be able to go and achieve and do these amazing things and unlock these i think unlock is a really big word for a lot of autistic people because a lot of people have these wonderful wonderful things about them and these wonderful skills and traits and qualities and abilities but it's unlocking that potential because society for a lot of that stigmatization or that misconception uh, mm. kind of culture locks that away it pushes it down and locks it away so people never think to unlock it Absolutely. And it's it that's that's one thing I think needs to change. And I one thing I want to do as a perform well, maybe not as a performer, because I have my views about like I I I have the right to say this, so I'm gonna say it. I it. don't want to play autistic characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I, I want I feel like where it need where the shift needs to the shift needs to focus with regards to autistic portrayal in the media, across all mediums is getting autistic people to write the stories that's that i mean it's already happening it's already happened on a lot of levels with a lot of great things 
but it needs to i feel like that shift needs to the paradigm shift needs to be greater we need more autistic writers writing their stories and we need producers to listen and be like okay this is what autistic people want to hear this is what needs to be heard let's put some money behind it then we can hire some autistic talent that's one thing i think i'd love to do in the future mm. and help produce more sort of neurodivergent work and so you know show that our stories are there to be told and we deserve to be in society another example i don't want to get back into covid but like i was i wanted to talk about it but i forgot um the amount of like the, the, the do not resuscitate orders that were given if if autistic people were to you know develop covid symptoms or you know just weren't you know mm. that that enrages me yeah just no, you know no, the no, fact that our lives have been i don't think about it a lot but when i do it's like that's the first time i felt my rights and just my existence really called into question which is just just from anyone like especially if you're like a very typically oppressed person from whatever mm. demographic or whatever thing you are you know the do not resuscitate thing on autistic people i must admit i wasn't fully aware of that until recently because like like you i do tend to do a bit more reading a bit more kind of um, of my own kind of study much more now than i ever have done mm. um i think it tells me that the narrative still needs to change. That the, the narrative is still autistic people are lesser, they have less value, they have less place in society, so they therefore have less reason to continue to exist. No, ab- absolutely, and that 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 desperately needs to change. And if if mm. it, it's it's it, it does really enrage me, especially as someone who has a high risk dad who is also autistic, and a sister who's autistic. You know, just in my, I I I just you know. It, so it, it just punches you in the gut and makes you think it does. Well, it is, does. Is, that, is that what people really think of me and like all you need mm. to do is look on history or just look at people in the world today who are autistic and like genuinely excuse me genuinely changing the world like regardless of you know they may not be the best person they may not be like the greatest people there are some people with questionable morals but there are autistic people out there just on a massive level who make who have made objectively objectively big changes for the world for the better or the worse mm-hmm. yeah and so, that's and that's absolutely something that needs more recognition and needs to be celebrated much more because it, it doesn't it doesn't get it it's it's not and it's you know, it's a tragedy. I suppose you kind of already answered my last question a little bit, but in terms of other just to, to wrap up, um, do you find the industry that you're in is getting better accommodating and making adjustments for autistic actors coming in or existing in that that industry? I'll be honest. I mask 99% of the time I work and I'm not accurately 100% myself. I mean, I say that I do tell people I'm autistic. I've told creatives that I'm autistic the, the further we get along the line. Mm. They kind they, they they accept it and they're like, cool, good for you. And they like, they kind of just, you know, just, others have taken like an active interest and stuff like that. But nine times out of 10, it's never really an issue. But like, yeah, they're quite accommodating. Once I tell them, they're like, do you need a minute? Like, they'll be quite accommodating. They'll ask, do I need extra time to learn something? Mm. you know i feel like it's just you know when you make the first not that you should have to but like because i like you know i've realized that for me once i ask them like sorry can i get a bit more help on this because nine times out of ten you know because they want you to do the best job they're willing to do whatever and make whatever accommodations they can so that you can achieve that to the best of your ability yeah so i feel like yeah when i've asked and if like for the times i have needed help my accommodations yeah have definitely have definitely been met and like when i ask you know you always worry as a performer, like you don't want to ask because there were some teachers at my college and, you know, it was a great time, but you know, certain times I felt like teachers would be impatient or, 
if you ask a question, they'd be like, what, what kind of question is that? And then at the same time, you're also told, well, no question is too stupid. Ask what you like. And, you know, you mm. do ask, like, well, why would you ask that? And you're made, yeah. to feel, you're made to feel stupid as a result. That's and, a, there's, a, there's a, such a paradox in that sometimes, isn't there? Oh, well, up of, you know, no question is a stupid question, but then an autistic person asks a question that's outside the box or, you know, out of, out of kind of kilter. And it's like, we don't, we don't have those questions here. It's like, we'll make your mind up. No, on one hundred percent, and drama like within the performing arts industry, there is that kind of thing. Mainly because, like, you know, you're you know, it's it's a high pressure job. You're, you're supposed to deliver a great result, like, and I mm. understand that. But at the same time, if you can't create a safe space to, you know, ask good questions and like make, you know, because that that's that's one thing about this industry. Like, I don't know who I can actually trust or who I can be like, which is a sad thing. Like, it's a great. It made I, I me love, sad when you just said it. It made me feel very sad. I love my industry. I wouldn't switch switch it out or change it for the world. It, I believe truly it's what I'm meant to do. Mm -hmm. But changes need to be made in order to make you feel like you can ask questions and stuff like that, and you won't be judged for it because, at the end of the day, you're pretending to be other people for. A, you have to pretend to be other people for a living. You do a song and a dance, or like depending on whatever kind of performance you do, like. What we do is kind of bizarre, weird, and wonderful anyway. If we can't ask weird, bizarre, you know, weird and wonderful questions, then what kind of space are, are, are you making? Like, are you, you know, it's, mm. I, I don't know. But it's, like, half a, it's half a space for your full existence, I guess. 100%. And to be fair, this extends to other people. Maybe like, and I get it, some directors have a certain style and like you adapt to what they do, like especially ones who like to take more control or they'll invite collaboration and stuff like that. So you, ha you kind of have to play it by ear. But I've... I found it a very positive experience. It won't be necessarily the same for everybody, but I do think accommodations are being made and there are being spaces made for us. There we go. And I think that's very powerfully said. You have spoken very openly, very frankly, very kind of confidently and assuredly throughout this whole chat. Um, and I'm incredibly grateful for your time. I'm incredibly grateful for your contribution to this because it's been such an informative joyous pleasure to speak to you so thank you so much for doing so um, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to to be on this like when you mess when you messaged me the amount of the, the the smile i had and just how quick i was to try and respond it made me happy and i'm glad that things like this are happening and i i thank you for making space for us and for getting our stories out there and for just you know for doing the work that i've been talking about and for the stuff that the stuff that needs to the stuff that needs to happen that should have happened a long time ago, but we're doing it now and we have our own our, our own agency. I thank you for that. It's been great chatting to you, and I I hope we chat again. I would say I'd say a couple of things. I'd say first of all, thank you, and that's made me quite emotional, but that's a good thing. I embrace it. Yeah, we're going to chat again. We clearly we're going to chat. Probably, Absolutely. probably a lot more, um, both professionally and personally, I would imagine. I, the thing that jumps out at me that isn't even related to autism, I just love the fact that you're a two pints man. Like you're exactly like me, a two pint man. Um, so a couple of pints down each of us and the impressions are all going to come out, I think. Absolutely. So Absolutely. That's, that's an interesting experience. Anthony, listen, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but, you know, we both have our own days to get on with. So, um Thank you so much again. It's been an absolute pleasure. And as I say to a lot of people, but I'm saying this especially to you, please come back and talk about other elements of autism with me in the future, because it would be an absolute delight to have you. And clearly your insight, your kind of personal level of responsibility and, and awareness is so, so strong that you would be invaluable in the future for, for other topics of discussion. So I hope that invitation is extended to you always. 
So. And I will gladly, I will gladly accept any and all times you want to talk, Jack. This has been a very, this has been a very heartwarming, fulfilling experience for for both of us. I hope. And... Yeah, absolutely. I completely, completely agree. And uh, yeah. amazing. Good. Right. Well, Anthony, thank you so much again, and we will see you soon. I'm no doubt, and I will keep in touch with you. So you know, the door is always open, my friend. So this has been such an incredible opener for season three of Out in the Ordinary. Thank you so much to the amazingly wonderful, talented Anthony. And I hope all of you listening have enjoyed the opener of season three. Like I said, things are getting better and bigger than ever on Out of the Ordinary. And we've got so many more exciting guests and adventures to come. But for this first episode, thank you again to my amazing guest, to Anthony. We will see him again, I've no doubt. And until the next time, I'll see you all very, very soon. Goodbye for now. (laughs) Thank you.